welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Psalm 77, it's a psalm written by a man named Asaph, and we'll get to just a little few details about who he was here in a moment. So the psalms, the psalms are so special because as you remember right there, they are, it's the book of Psalms is basically a song book. And so they're, they're so rich, they're such a blessing for us, but not only that, the authors are so honest and transparent, right, when they write the book of Psalms, when David and Asaph and others, they say things that maybe if we were kind of deciding what would be said in God's word, we, we might say, no, we can't include somebody saying something like that, right? But the authors are very upfront and very transparent in their feelings and what they're experiencing. So today we're going to look at one of these Psalms where we might read it and say, wow, that's, that's some strong, those are some strong words there. So Asaph describes how he feels at certain times, and perhaps maybe some of us have felt that way as well, but don't feel very comfortable sharing it with others. And so what I'd like to do is to look at this psalm today and examine this man's suffering and and ultimately what was done, how he handled it, and how it was resolved. So let's read together Psalm 77. We'll read the entire psalm for context. The scripture says, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in his anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
Let's pray together. Father, as we've read your word, we pray that you would speak to all of our hearts. Lord, we oftentimes are troubled in hearing and having our hearts open to what your word says to us. We pray that we would be open now and that your word would speak to us in a way that only you can. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read this, this psalm, this poem, as we read it, you might, it might have become apparent that the source of Asaph's suffering is not really directly addressed, right? And if you read different commentaries, they might hypothesize what it is that Asaph is experiencing. Why, why is he being drawn to write these words? What is it that's, in, that's so, so, so burdened on his heart? Right? Why is he writing these words? We don't really know. It's possible, if you read many of the Psalms, right, a lot of times the psalmist will petition God on behalf of the entire nation of Israel. Right? So it's possible maybe he is, he's kind of pleading on behalf of Israel as a whole, or it's possible that this is really a personal matter, and we, don't, we, we know no one else really knows what it is that's causing him to suffer in this way. But just a, a few statements here, just a moment on who was Asaph, because we might read, well, who, a psalm of Asaph, who, who was he? Um, just a little background. You can read about him in First and Second Chronicles briefly. There's not a whole lot said about him. But he was one of the men that was handpicked by King David um, himself to assist in leading music in the tabernacle, including when the Ark of God was brought into the temple. Asaph was there and was helping to, to lead God's people in music. And he wrote other psalms. He wrote Psalm 50, and then he also wrote Psalms 73 through Psalm 83, which includes our psalm for this morning. So all of that just to say that he was certainly somebody that experienced God's power and God's glory and his, his grace and mercy, right, in leading God's people in the temple like that. And so now... But what is causing him now? What, what changed, right? What, what happened to make him to write these words? Again, it's not certain. But, but so the way that we'll approach it this morning is more on a level of that it's something personally aching him, not simply something on behalf of Israel against their enemies and persecution and all of those things, but perhaps it's something more personal. And so as we kind of look through this psalm, I, I think I might have mentioned as we've looked through previous psalms uh, a couple times before, but it's a little difficult, a little more challenging to exposit a psalm like we would exposit like a letter, like the book of Ephesians or Romans or something. So because we have to remember it's a poem, there's a lot of repetition, there are a lot of other things, uh, elements in the language that we don't experience in other types of writing, but nonetheless, we'll, we'll do our best. So let's look at it now. Again, if you go back to verse 1. Verses 1 and 2, right, where he starts off. And as we'll see here, he kind of, many commentators kind of point out that it's possible he's really summing up the entire psalm in this first verse. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. So he says, I cry aloud to God. Right? So he's not simply trying to speak to God in his mind. Many times we'll pray that way because we know God knows our thoughts. Right? We don't have to actually say physical words to him for him to hear us. Right? We have to do that with others, but with God, he knows what's going on in our mind. But Asaph says he cried aloud to God. He spoke verbally to God. 
Again, not that it's necessary, but perhaps there is value in that, so that we hear the own words, our own words coming from our mouth. And so again, it's almost like he sums up, as we'll see, really the whole psalm is summed up there in this first statement. And so notice who he seeks in his trouble. Right? He seeks the Lord. So, he's, so Asaph is very aware of and confident in the fact that God knows what's going on. Whatever it is that's troubling him, whatever it is in his heart, he knows that God is aware, right? Nobody has to tell him that. He, there's no, well, you know, it doesn't seem like God has done anything about this. Maybe he's just not aware, or maybe he can't help. Maybe he's powerless to do something about my situation. No, that never seems to enter Asaph's mind. It certainly doesn't enter his, his words onto from pen and paper. So he sought the Lord. So I would ask, whom do you seek in your day of trouble? Do you seek social media? Do you seek worldly counsel? Or perhaps even your own wisdom, right, that is flawed? A, comment, a well-known commentator, old, old guy, Matthew Henry, uh, said that days of trouble must be days of prayer. Days of trouble must be days of prayer. So Asaph goes on to say that, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying, or maybe your translation might say without ceasing, right? Without, it doesn't stop. My soul refuses to be comforted. So Asaph is so troubled, he's literally praying all night because he, he feels he has no other option, right? This is my only remedy for my for my uh, suffering. He's, he's not going to relent. He won't rest until God answers him or until he, he perceives that God is answering him, right? It's almost like when Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord and he, he grabs onto him and says, I will not let you go until you bless me. My soul refuses to be comforted. So it's, it's, some commentators have said, like, it's, it's almost as if he's saying, you know, human answers, they're not good enough now. Human answers, human wisdom, my own wisdom is just not good enough. Only God's wisdom will do. And continuing on, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So he's like saying, it's almost like God is keeping him awake. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. My spirit faints. So it's one thing to be weak physically, right? I'm sure we've all experienced that before, right? You might have exerted your body to the point where you feel weak, like you can't even, you can't even pick up, you know, a pencil, right? You can't pick up anything else. So we know what it is to push our body to a certain point, right? And, and the, the anatomy behind that is, right, if you, if you lift weights or something like that, then you know that what you're really doing is tearing down your muscle, right? But the idea is as you nourish your body, it'll grow back and be stronger than it was before. But in the time, it feels weakening. It feels like you might have harmed yourself, but in the long run, it'll strengthen you. But have you ever felt weak in your spirit, weak in your soul? He says that when he meditates, his spirit faints. He just, just can't take it anymore. And again, he's so troubled he cannot even speak. So again, it's as if God is holding his eyes open. That's how he feels, keeping him from resting. Have you ever felt that way? 
So I, if you're like me, I find in myself when I'm, those times when I might be so, so troubled with something that I, I can't even, you, you can't even find the words to say, right? So you just reserve yourself not even to say anything, right? I'm just not even going to, I'm just not even going to say something. I won't say anything. Like the, like the proverb says, right? He who keeps silent, uh, even the fool appears silent. Or, sorry, even the fool appears wise when he keeps himself silent. Sorry, I got tongue-tied there. And it, it becomes challenging to put words to our feelings at times. And this seems like this is how Asaph was at this time. But be comforted in the fact that God knows what you're feeling or what you're thinking even without telling him. Right? As we mentioned before, God's not dependent upon us physically saying any words. Right? There have been times when I've prayed, and it's like I... Like, Lord, you know what I'm feeling even better than I do. And thank God for that, that he knows what you need even before you ask him, as Jesus says. So now verse 5. So this is, this is the buildup, and now this is here, verse 5. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. So he thinks back, he thinks back to the good old days. Right when God certainly worked in His people, right in the day when the ark of the ark, He might be thinking, you know, speculating here. I don't, we don't know this, but He might be thinking, you know, let me think back to the time when I know God was there when the ark of the covenant was brought into the temple and we all praised and worshipped God together as a nation, right? Or for us today, right? You might say the good old days, you know, when I when I walked with God every day, when when I was on fire for Him and I didn't have a care in the world because God loves me and gave his only begotten son for me, and I love him back. And, you know, if you're like me, right, when I was first a believer, back in those days when every t-shirt I had was a Christian t-shirt bought from the Lifeway Christian bookstore with a Christian uh, Bible verse on it so that as soon as I walked in the room, you knew I was a Christian without me even having to say anything. That was me. (laughs) But what happens when we no longer feel that same zeal anymore. Right? It maybe is, for you, maybe is there a time in your life when you look back and you say, you know, back then, that's when I was on fire for God. So what do I do when I don't have that same passion that I once did? So what if now when I pray, I feel like God isn't even listening? Right? It doesn't mean he's not listening, but what if I feel like he's not listening? Or maybe if he's listening, he's not really all that too concerned with me because I might have made him upset and he's just kind of forgetting about me and he'll come back to me later when he deals with other problems or with other people, right? So we might be tempted to ask questions like Asaph asks in verses 7 through 9. When he says, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? So to illustrate this, I want to share a short little story of when our family was at a theme park. And my youngest son was was too young really to ride any rides. So my oldest son and I went and we waited in line at one of, the, one of the rides there. And it was neat because while you were waiting, and you didn't have to just wait in a line and do nothing. But they gave you this little pager, and then there was a huge playground, like probably twice the size of this sanctuary. It was, it was enormous. 
and there were probably 5,000 kids in that room. I, I don't know. <laughs> might be a little bit of an exaggeration, but it was absolute mayhem. And so, but it was neat because we don't have to just stand in line. We, we, we go and the, and the children can play. And then once our spot in line was available, the little pager buzzed and then we went and went out onto the ride. But while this was happening, I was keeping my eyes on my son, on Liam, our, our oldest son. And, but he wasn't always keeping his eyes on me. And so in the, which is what little, little children do, right? So they get distracted, like even like adults, right? And so in that, in that huge playground, right, towards the end, you know, we were there for maybe five or ten minutes, and then he gets down from the slide or whatnot, and he's looking around, and he doesn't see me. He's looking around, and he doesn't see me, and tears start to roll down his face, and he starts to cry. In that moment, he might have been thinking, well, where did my, where did my dad go? Did he forget about me? Uh, did he go on to the ride without me? Did, has he moved on? Did he find some other child he liked better and then took him off, right? Um, and, but in that moment, right, he felt maybe his father had abandoned him, right? And so now, I, I remember thinking not long after that happened, like, wow, what a, what a picture that is of, of us, as we'll see here as, as, as we continue on. And so Asaph is asking rhetorical questions in which the obvious answer is no. Obviously, God has not forgotten to be favorable. Obviously, his steadfast love did not cease. Obviously, he didn't forget to be gracious. But in that moment, that's how we can feel. And he, and he says, wait, I, I, I know God was gracious then, but is, is he still gracious? Did he stop being gracious? And again, given that he, he, had, he had seen God work in the past, but now he feels like he's not. Right? And so it feels like maybe something has changed. And so in, this, in these times, of course, nobody would come to church and you would say, hey, brother or sister, how are you doing? You know, maybe we had a difficult week and we might say, you know, I, I had a tough week. I feel as if God changed. <laughs> nobody would say that uh, verbally to another person, Right? But sometimes, maybe I'm the only person here who has struggled or experienced that, where we have to remind ourselves of what the Bible actually says and not to trust our own feelings. People change, right? People can be moody, right? We might treat someone the exact same way today and then treat them the, the, even better tomorrow, but then they don't respond to it the right way. Like, what, what, what happened, right? People are moody, right? Don't trust people. God is not like us. God doesn't have a bad day and then doesn't want to speak to his kids or, because he had a bad day, right? And he just doesn't want to talk to anybody, right? That's us, but that's not God. So to Asaph and to us at times, it might feel like God has changed, but remember what the scripture says. And it says Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, uh, for one, that I'm the Lord thy God, I change not, right? He does not change. And again, not only we might feel that way at times, but in those moments, it feels like it's never going to end, right? We might feel like there's no hope, right? That this is just my plight for the rest of my earthly life here, that I'm just always going to feel as if God is distant, right? feeling like God is distant, right? But not that he actually is. As he says, as Asaph says, will the Lord spurn forever? Of course, we're not typically going to say this, but sometimes we might feel it because our feelings betray us, 
Our feelings lead us astray. And so let me point out quickly that Asaph never seems to, to have the idea, again, I kind of touched upon this earlier, but you know, he never seemed to have the idea that, oh, well, God can't do anything about my situation or that maybe he's not aware or something like that, that God is just hopeless, right? But no, he knows God is in control of this. God knows exactly what's going on, and God is, God is there. He knows what's going on. And so in those, in those difficult times, we might, it seems like at least in my own experience with myself and others that we tend to maybe, even if it's subconsciously, Right? We might tend to question either God's sovereignty or God's goodness. Right? We might be tempted to ask ourselves, is God really in control of all of this? Or we might be tempted to ask, is he really good? Is God really good? And perhaps you've experienced times in which God has answered your prayers in such a way where it was like, wow, there's no other explanation for that other than, God answered it, right? It was almost miraculous. But so what now when we don't feel that way, right? What a joy is when we have those prayers answered in, in that way, but what happens when we go through a dry season where it seems like maybe I'm not experiencing that same thing? So when you pray and you feel like you don't receive any confirmation or you feel like God has, or has not answered your prayer, so it leads you to question, like, is God really there? where we, we forget what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 11, where he says that the Father knows how to give good gifts to his children, right? But sometimes we might forget that, right? And how do we, how do we deal with those times when, like the disciples in the boat, like we read in Mark chapter 4, and the reason why we read it is because of the question that they ask, right? Such a, such a blunt question. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So kind of questioning Jesus, like, wow, does he, like, does he not know that the storm is whirling around us and he's just sleeping in the boat? Do something. Don't you care that we're perishing? Have you ever thought about that question from the disciples? And so now we're going to see the transition here in the psalm, in verse 10, where he says, Then I said, I will appeal to this. So what is he going to do now? I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. You might have a different translation. Uh, you know, th there's always variations between different translations. But in this, in Psalm 77, verse 10, there's kind of a significant difference. If you might, I, I don't know the other translation, but you might have a translation that read, this is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. Right? It's kind of a different thing there, and I'm not, I'm no Hebrew uh, scholar or anything, so I can't get into the nitty-gritty of, nitty of the language, but nonetheless, just so you might be reading another translation and say, wow, that's totally different than what I have, but regardless of the particular translation, here is the transition in the psalm. So now verses 11, 11 through 14, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. So how does Asab deal with his pain? How does he answer the question to himself of whether or not God has changed or has God forgotten to be gracious? He simply remembers what he already knows. 
It's no fancy remedy. There's no super spiritual potion. He simply remembers what he already knows. And there is value in looking back and remembering the deeds of the Lord, the, his wondrous works of old, as Asaph says. For us, it might be remembering when you first came to Christ and that time when you know that God was merciful and gracious to you when you first became a Christian. Let's read verses 15 through 20, the last six verses of the psalm. <clears throat> you were with your arm, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of the thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So he's talking about water and whirlwind and clouds and footprints through the sea and Moses and Aaron. What is he talking about? He's describing here the Exodus. When God parted the Red Sea and the Israelites were able to walk through the sea on dry land. So I imagine that we all probably have a list of like events in Scripture where we might think of, we might think of them and say, wow, wouldn't it have been amazing to witness that, to witness that event? Right? Imagine uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments or in Samuel when King David is anointed or Jesus' baptism or the resurrection itself, right? All of these events where it's like, man, what, what, how amazing would it have been to be there? And certainly the Exodus is one of those events where if you, it's like for us living in the 21st century, it's like we, we look back on those who experienced those things and, and we might say, um, you know, wow, if they experienced that and saw that with their own eyes, why would they ever doubt, right? Maybe you've had that thought before. But what is the significance here in Psalm 77? Why does Asaph bring up that event long ago? He does it because it signifies God's ability and desire to deliver his people from bondage, right? As amazing and miraculous as the parting of the Red Sea was, we now have something more incredible to look back on, don't we? The cross, right? And as we'll look back on here in, in a few moments when we partake of communion. And, but the context of that, really, remember the context of Exodus is the Passover. And what is the context of communion, right? The Passover, right? So there's, there's a link there. In Christ, God has set us free from the bondage of sin, from the penalty of sin, right? We can be so caught up, and I, for one, spend a lot of time here where we're so caught up in feeling like God is distant from me or, or, that, or that I've just messed up so much and now I'm just too distant from God or, or, or whatever it may be that we can forget what God has already done for us on the cross. And we forget that His promises are true and everlasting. And sadly, really to sum it up, we can forget it sounds ridiculous to say, but we can forget the gospel. So here are just a few verses to encourage us, right, that God's promises are everlasting and really what, what his promises mean. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where we don't normally think of it as a, as a promise verse, right, but it is. 
Hebrews 11.6, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we might often feel discouraged, right, when we pray and we don't feel like we receive an answer, right? Maybe, you know, what's going on here? It brings us joy when we do receive an answer at times or, or, or we receive an answer that we, that, we, that we perceive it in the way that, oh, God has answered it when he might have answered it and we just didn't perceive it as such. But, but sometimes we don't always experience that. But the writer of Hebrews is saying here that there's, there is reward in even seeking God. He rewards those who seek him. And this one includes seeking him in prayer. So remember that God is pleased even when we seek him. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7, where Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he really does care for you. If or when we feel like he's not there, bring that to him. If you're feeling like, God, where are you? Bring that to him. Even that in and of itself. He knows, if, you're, if that's how you feel, he knows how you feel already. Right? He already knows. I mean, at that point, I'm just kind of deceiving myself, right? He knows how we feel even before he tells them. So, am I, so if I'm told to cast all my anxieties on God because he cares for me, maybe my feelings and my thoughts and my own wisdom deceive me in thinking that he doesn't really care for me in that moment, who should you trust? Are you going to trust yourself or are you going to trust God's word? Romans, 8, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39 Great promise for God's people. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. So as if Paul didn't cover all the bases, anything else that's been created, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So forget your own feelings. that You cannot be separated from God's love in Christ. If you are Christ's, and if, if, if you are a believer, if God has saved you, nothing in all creation can change that. And sometimes we read that and we're thinking, well, maybe I myself could be so bad to, to change that or to separate that. Well, no, because you would be included in anything else in all creation. Right? There's nothing that you can do, even yourself. John 6, 37 through 40. Jesus speaking. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So there's no falling out of God's hand, as we, as we sang a little bit ago. right? No power of hell nor scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Not even you yourself can be too sinful to fall out of God's hand. 
And if our world needs to hear anything, of course, the, our world today needs to hear many things and has always had to hear many things. One of them certainly is that the way to heaven is exclusive, right? That the way to heaven is exclusive, but that Christ, the one who is the way, the exclusive one, welcomes all. So, in the, so just as Christianity is radically exclusive in that there is one way to God, Christianity, Christ, is radically inclusive in that he doesn't shun any, right? He welcomes all to come to him. So if you're here this morning or listening in some other place, uh, that know that God calls you to come to him, right? He calls you to come to him in faith, to repent of your sin and turn to him for faith and uh, turn, turn to him in faith for forgiveness of your sin because you are sinful. We all have sin and have piled up a debt before God that we could never pay back on our own, right? And then we might think, well, maybe I'm good enough to get into heaven. But God demands perfection. If you, are, if you believe that you can stand before God and he allows you into heaven on your own, standing by yourself, you need to be absolutely perfect. Perfect in thought, action, word, deed, everything. And if you're here this morning and you've been living more than uh, three seconds, you've already failed. You already have piled up sin before God. And so how can you be made right with God? It's only through coming to Christ in faith, turning from your sin, turning from the delusion that you can be the captain of your own ship, right? That you can be the captain of your own life but recognize that you were created by someone and he is the one who is the captain of your life, whether we recognize it here willingly or not. And so turn to him. And Christian, Jesus told us that we will experience tribulation and suffering in this life on this side of heaven, as it's commonly referred to. We will struggle. We will at times, due to our own sinfulness, really, uh, feel like God is distant and isn't there. Right? It may really feel like that at times, but just like the illustration of the story I shared earlier, uh, my son might have felt like I had abandoned him, but I never took my eyes off of him. Right? I, I knew if I did, that might be it. Right? I, I had to keep my eyes on him, and in the same way, God never takes his eyes off of us. He never abandons us and forgets about his own children, even though you might feel that way. So, but like Asaph, let's, let us commit ourselves in, to discipline our own minds to refocus on what we already know, right? And there is joy in that. Uh, I can testify to that, that in those times when you feel as if God isn't there, 